Hi, this is Jeremy Gritton, art director and story lead for Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 44 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, August 9th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we chat with Adam Brennicky, the game director for Obsidian Entertainment's Grounded, which has recently made its impressive debut into early access. Rocksteady has officially acknowledged their upcoming Suicide Squad project, and Spider-Man is set to be a PlayStation-exclusive character in Marvel's Avengers. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse, as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I do each week, I begin the episode by thanking someone from the XEP community for enriching my gaming life, and this week... I want to say a quick word of thanks to Chris Johnston, CJ from the Player One podcast, has been helping me out a bit in Sea of Thieves of late. In fact, today I am recording later on in the day than I typically do, all because I got stuck in on a mission and did not want to stop. I adore the game Sea of Thieves, and I have a very quick but very cool story to tell you before we get to the news. So I was in Sea of Thieves as I often am solo. I like to play on a sloop with one to two people. I don't really enjoy the bigger ships. And I'm out about in the world getting set to go on my tall tale mission, which means I'm not really going for loot. I'm completing uh, one of the 10 story mission campaigns that amount to pretty impressive amount of, of storytelling content in Sea of Thieves. If you're unaware, that's a games as a service, live service, not quite MMO style game, but you... You just play in a gameplay loop. However, they have tall tales in the game, which are story missions, which you, you can do if you want to ex- experience a campaign or not. So I'm setting up to go in there, and some random sh- pirate shows up and attacks my boat while I'm on an island. And so they sink my boat, and I go out, and I, I swim onto their boat unbeknownst to them, and I, I light fire to it with firebombs, and they sink and crash, and it's this really cool vibe there. So I reset up uh, my boat, I I respawn, set up my boat there, get it all ready to go on my Tall Tales mission, and as I'm setting up, another boat comes up, and I'm wary at this point, and it's crazy, and these guys show up with a big boat, very powerful uh, cannons aimed at me, and they jump on over and they say, hey, alliance up with us. Now, unbeknownst to me, at this moment, they meant either you join our alliance or we kill you, but I didn't know that. I was like, sure, cool. So we alliance up, which means we, we join up in a team, and any gold they get, I get a, a fraction of it, and vice versa. I go And we go about on our way. We split off on this major, majorly large map that we go through. So I'm playing through, and my buddy CJ joins up maybe halfway through my time in the night. I'm about an hour and a half in at this point. He joins up, and he helps me go through this tall tale, and I tell him about the, the incident. He's like, cool, neat. He's helping me with checkpoints. He's helping me solve puzzles. We're having a blast. We go turn in our tall tale about an hour and a half to two hours later. It's roughly 2 a.m. at this point. And then this other boat that I had allied with before shows up. And CJ's like, whoa, watch out, watch out, watch out. And we look over from the island, and we see this boat. And all of a sudden, CJ goes, Peoples, Chenzo. 
and he goes over to this other boat, which is a very big no-no in the world of Sea of Thieves. You don't do that because you can get uh, taken for all your loot or attacked or they think you're attacking them. Turns out, in the massive world of 10 million plus players and however many concurrents were alive on however many servers were alive, CJ knew these guys personally from their own rather prolific Sea of Thieves podcast and Discord from our friend Captain Logan. It was a super cool story, and I was really just flabbergasted and impressed by just how great the world of Sea of Thieves can be, and it can do whatever you want. I play very casually. CJ is very hardcore and excited uh, with, with many over a thousand hours in the game, and there they are running into people they know amidst all the servers and a huge map, and I'd know, I I'd allied with these randoms three hours prior at that point. It was just a really cool story, and it was a wonderful addition to my gaming week. So thank you to CJ and the two people that chose not to attack me, and they allied with me and got me tons of gold. Chenzo and Peoples, members of Captain Logan, Sea of Thieves community, very cool. Uh, and I just it, it was just a fun thing, and that's the whole reason we play video games. So thanks, guys. That was dope. Amidst all of the gaming news this week, none was more exciting to me than the announcement made by Rocksteady on their Twitter with a very simple post, quote, Target Locked, DC Fandom, August 22nd, end quote. Accompanied by a picture of Superman with crosshairs over his head spelling out the word Suicide Squad, that's right, Rocksteady's next project is a Suicide Squad game in which, at the very least, you will be hunting Superman himself. I could not be more excited to see what the talent of Rocksteady brings after bringing us three Arkham games, what it is they have to offer in the Suicide Squad world, and what it means to see Superman in their vision. If you've not seen this post, it's officially announced over on their Twitter page, which is an odd way to announce a game. I will say that it's clearly meant to, to bring hype to DC's fandom event, where we're also expecting to see WB Montreal's next project in the Batman universe. I'm stoked and very in on this idea. WB and I suppose DC themselves have been working very hard to solidify Suicide Squad as... Uh, a, a clear pillar in their strategy of marketing DC Comics going forward. There was the failed Suicide Squad movie. They're doing a soft reboot with James Gunn in the movieverse. Harley Quinn has her own uh, animated show, which is certainly going alongside the hype that came with the Harley Quinn live-action movie. And now we're going to see Rocksteady take the Suicide Squad down their gaming vision, and I'm very in on this. Clearly, we're meant to find out more on August 22nd, but if you look at the post, it's a very well-rendered version of Superman looking away from the camera with glowing red eyes, clearly power emanating from those eyes in what looks to be almost a corrupted facial, uh, facial scarring. I'm very interested to see if we are playing the bad guys meant to stop the good guys, or if we're playing the bad guys turned good or, or, you know, convinced to save the world in a almost typical at this point Superman's Gone Rogue event, I'm curious to see how Rocksteady makes Superman interesting in a gameplay sense, being underpowered as the Suicide Squad versus super powerful enemies uh, with, with people like, you know, Wonder Woman and Superman, etc. That could be a really exciting narrative from a gameplay perspective, and I'm super stoked to see what it is Rocksteady does with this. Obviously, August 22nd is going to be a big day for gamers. With the recent news that WB is no longer going to be sold off, their gaming division is going to be held onto a bit longer by AT&T, meaning we're not likely to see any WB games to Xbox, NetherRealm to Xbox, EA's pick up, picking up Rocksteady or, or whatnot. We're not going to see that in the upcoming events. So 
what, what, what is most exciting about this is we can focus just on the game. Rocksteady's making Suicide Squad. Stoked to see how that goes. I mean, my excitement should be palpable at this point. There's no doubt about that. But we don't know what WB Montreal is working on. Now, for context, Jason Schreier tweeted this out. Quote, WB Montreal was working on a Suicide Squad game until it was canceled in late 2016. At some point, end of 2016 or 17, Rocksteady started theirs. The game will be teased at DC Fandom, but I wouldn't expect it for a while. End quote. Now, we know for, from, for a number of different reports that WB Montreal and Rocksteady are both working on superhero games with a DC license. Obviously, we've got Suicide Squad with Rocksteady. What it is that WB Montreal is officially doing is not fully clear at this point, though we've seen so many leaks and teases that they're making a Batman game. The question now becomes, is WB Montreal's Capture the Night Batman-style game in the same universe as Suicide Squad? Is Suicide Squad a game as a service? Is this Batman game meant to be very similar to Arkham? Does it exist in the Arkham universe? Lots of questions surrounding this, but the idea that there was a Suicide Squad game in in production with WB Montreal, and then they transitioned to Batman, and Rocksteady took over, really leads to a lot of speculation that I'm hoping the DC fandom event clears up. There's no doubt, there's no doubt, that AT&T, as a parent company of WB Games, is looking to grow the DC license further. You have the Snyder Cut happening over on HBO Max. More shows are being commissioned. DC Universe, for some reason as a service, continues without being officially merged with HBO Max. They're banking on the success of DC Comics as a as a brand to help sell these games. And there's no doubt about it that, I mean, I'm buying these games wherever they show up. They could be a Switch exclusive, and I'd be curious to check it out for sure. But... Uh, I, I All eyes are on this DC fandom event for August 22nd. That really feels like the last big th- hammer that needs to drop from this gaming summer before we really officially start the fall hype. It feels like the DC fandom event is is that last piece of the puzzle. Oddly, oddly, it feels that way despite the fact that Call of Duty has yet to be officially announced. And there's reports that Warzone's success as a games of service battle royale free-to-play game is is part of that reason. For my money, I'm all in on this Batman idea. I'm all in on this Suicide Squad idea. I want to see more of it. Uh, Superheroes are my bread and butter, and I'm curious to see just how the gaming industry reacts with this Spider-Man news. Eyebrows were raised and feathers were ruffled this past week when it was announced that Spider-Man would be a PlayStation-exclusive character in the upcoming Marvel's Avengers title from Crystal Dynamics. A lot of thoughts were were banging around the internet this past week. A lot of ideas, a lot of people celebrating, a lot of people lamenting the fact that you either will or will not be able to play with Spider-Man, a fan-favorite character from across all mediums. It will be locked into a PlayStation audience, meaning you can buy this third-party game and you will be locked out of content depending upon the platform of your choice. Lots of ideas, lots of takes out there on the internet, and some misunderstandings and misinformation as well. Now, we understand this to be largely in part due to Sony's willingness to cut a deal to keep Spider-Man in the MCU, to keep Marvel happy, and they were putting down some money as well. Misinformation or misunderstandings were suggesting that Sony owned Spider-Man as an IP, and that is incorrect. Spider-Man PS4 with the white spider on his chest, that Spider-Man is owned 
by Sony due to their, their exclusive marketing deal with them. But it is not Spider-Man as a character overall. And you can cite some recent evidence like Ultimate Alliance 3 and, of course, the Lego games where you see Spider-Man occur on, on multiple platforms. But uh, there's, there's a lot of ideas as to if this is good or bad or helps or hurts. I will say a couple things on this topic. First, Spider-Man is not the only exclusive piece of content that PlayStation is getting. They'll be getting exclusive challenges within the community and exclusive perks to happen with their characters getting certain content early as well. This ruffles my feathers a bit because we have a third-party title in Marvel's Avengers made by Crystal Dynamics appearing on PC appearing on console with Xbox and PlayStation and Stadia. So this is going to be on multiple places and some players are locked out of content simply due to the choice of where to play. Now, does this hurt the game on Xbox? Yes, you're getting a lesser experience for the same amount of money. Does this hurt the game on PlayStation? Yes, this does hurt the game on PlayStation because in limiting the character's ability to proliferate throughout the entire games as a service community in which we know crossplay is said to be coming, you've now kept Spider-Man from being a major pillar in your storytelling down the line. Major gameplay concepts will have to be limited and accounted for in, in level design for Spider-Man, but that character will not be able to appear on other platforms. This damages your ability to innovate and create if you're Crystal Dynamics. It is not an equal inequity. It is not a, it is not a uh, fair amount of damage to either community, I would argue. PlayStation's certainly better set right now uh, and better serving their gamers and their players in the Avengers category in that they're going to get more content for the same amount of money than Xbox gamers and Stadia gamers, etc. But it does damage Crystal Dynamics' ability to tell a story with Spider-Man down the line. That said, we are well aware and we do know that Spider-Man was not meant to be a major pillar in their current storytelling design. This was meant to be an Avengers story with with a focus on Kamala Khan and the key Avengers that have already been showcased with the addition of Hawkeye. I'm very curious to see how this nets out, and I think there's a lot of understandable outrage because Spider-Man is such a beloved character. To that same end, we've got a lot of mixed reactions occurring right now from the PlayStation side of the beta that's occurring at this moment. Xbox gamers will get their hands on it probably uh, just after this episode airs live. Xbox gamers will get to decide for themselves whether or not the game is good. And that is the key to all of this. If the game is not heavy hitting, it doesn't sell well, or, I mean, of course it'll sell well, it's Avengers, goodness gracious. But if it doesn't land and keep a long life cycle, then this is a moot point. There's not, you're not missing out on much if the game's not overly fun to play. But if the game lands and sticks its landing in a way where it's still alive and doing well six months from now, I think this is really going to be a talking point where a lot of fans feel betrayed by Xbox not willing to open their wallet and cut the same deal or pay for the rights to, to use Spider-Man. They'll be upset with Crystal Dynamics, and it may even push people away from the platform. The bottom line business side of it, ah, man, I, I don't think it's going to bother Crystal Dynamics all that much. However, you can look at Destiny with Bungie and, and some of the PlayStation-exclusive perks that Activision forced them to do and the community being outraged and frustrated there as, as a, a measuring point, a barometer for the frustration that Crystal Dynamics may be feeling in this particular case. Some of them, they've had some verbal faux pas and in interviews about this and saying, well, you know, everybody's getting Hawkeye. We should focus on Hawkeye versus the Spider-Man topic. And it, it, it is a frustrating situation for, 
I would suggest many aspects of this because nobody wants to be locked away from a fan favorite character. Nobody wants to spend the same amount of money and get more or less than somebody else. Perhaps they want more. I should rephrase that. They don't want to get a lesser experience for the same amount of money. These types of inequality occur in business all the time, and you can argue against them or for them depending upon your approach there. But I can certainly see why this one stings. Once I play this beta, I will decide whether or not I'm ultra upset about it or not. There's no doubt about it that it, it, it hurts a little bit that, oh, if I want to play on Series X uh, with smart delivery and whatnot going forward, I I will have a less op- I will have less options. That definitely stings. If I really like this beta, this will force me to consider where to purchase this game because right now I'm all in on the Xbox side. But am I getting a lesser game? This is something that, as a consumer, you have to consider. There's a lot of ways I'm approaching this Avengers game. Am I getting a 15-hour experience playing as my superheroes and I'm having fun and then I put it down never again? Is that worth $60 to me? Is it worth $80 for Digital Deluxe Edition? Where do I fall on that? Am, if I have multiple consoles starting in this next gen, do I want to have my Marvel's Avengers next to Spider-Man Miles Morales and my trophy list uh, as well? Those are things that gamers will have to weigh going forward. I would recommend any and everyone that has a mild interest in this game Check out the open beta when it occurs in roughly two weeks' time from now. Check out the open beta, see if it's for you, and decide where you want to put your money and vote with your wallet. Getting angsty on social media, not really going to do you a whole lot of good. Being thoughtful and analytical, voting with your wallet, hitting businesses where they need to be hit, celebrating businesses where they need to be celebrated, that's how you influence the industry as a consumer. I will be likely still picking this up on Xbox Series X if the beta is as... Uh, promising as I think it will be. I like games that what Avengers looks to be. I seem to enjoy that a lot as a gamer in general. So I'm curious to see where it goes. Will we still care in six months? That's the part I don't know. How much damage do these PlayStation Advantage perks make into the the gaming verse? That's the part I don't know. And there is a lot to consider on this. But let me know what you think. Tweet me at InsipidGhost. Let me know your thoughts. If you're playing the beta, let me know what you think. Send me your cool screenshots. I'm already seeing some cool stuff out there. I'm also seeing some funny beta jinx and and bugs out there as well. And those are fun to look at. But really and truly, this is going to be a business decision that will either help or hurt the Xbox community. And i got to be honest, it does hurt that Microsoft didn't open their wallet and cut a deal to serve their gamers as well. They may be openly critical of third-party business deals like this, but it hurts that they wouldn't serve us on this one. This is Paul Bettner, creator of New Super Lucky's Tale, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. An apples to oranges comparison to be sure, but exclusivity is the name of the discussion this week. And Project xCloud will be launching into Game Pass Ultimate on September 15th, exclusively onto Android devices. That's right, Apple iOS is not supported in Project xCloud due to iOS policies. Apple is not allowing Microsoft to put their Game Pass app on their platform after it had been in beta with the Master Chief Collection before due to store policies and not being able to take 30% from the purchases. There are more complexities in that business deal than just what I said in that early intro. However, that seems to be the, the, the long and the short of it is that my, Apple can't get a cut of their money and they don't want to put another platform uh, for people to spend money in a different ecosystem than what they are providing. That said, 
xCloud arriving into Game Pass Ultimate September 15th. Anybody with an Android device and a Game Pass Ultimate subscription will be able to check out 100 plus games like Killer Instinct, Forza, Yakuza Kiwami 2, the Master Chief Collection, Halo Infinite when it launches. That's a pretty big deal. You've got 51% or so of the mobile market is Android based and most of those devices will work. Your Android tablet or phone will play xCloud. That's a pretty darn big deal, and I can't imagine a world where Microsoft's disappointed with the Android aspect of this. Certainly to be able to provide that cloud-based service to so many gamers is a big deal. I wonder if we would think differently of this if COVID-19 had not been a factor, given that many people are still sheltered in place. I wonder how this enters into their North American and European markets versus, say, the uh, some of the other 22 some odd countries that are that are getting it i truly believe this is a an intense strategy for entering the asian marketplace as well due to the speeds that they have on mobile networks and their affinity for mobile gaming now we talk about mobile gaming and if you think about it one of two things likely jumps into your brain cell phones or the switch both are versions of mobile gaming and microsoft partnered with razer Power A and 8BitDo, along with a few others, to create specific accessories to augment your xCloud experience. Of course, you can just you know put your tablet up or your phone up, mount it somewhere, and link your, your Bluetooth controller from DualShock 4s to Xbox One controllers, Xbox Series X controllers, along with your 8BitDo and a few other uh, you know proprietary type devices as well. This is pretty exciting. You can use it on almost any device. But the accessories that they're showcasing, particularly the Razer Kishi, look dope clipping your phone to a controller seen it clipping your, your or linking your tablet seen it the 8-bit dough super nintendo looking controller but it has an xbox button very cool looking very cool looking i dig that one but the razor kishi's got my, my my eyes on it for sure it's 100 bucks and it attaches to the the left and right width side of your of your tele your, your telephone and it looks like a switch and it looks dope, and I want it. I don't know if I want it for $100 because we're still shelter in place and I can just play at home, but I love this idea. Microsoft has a platform now where you can play Halo, Gears, a number of the super cool indies. I've been playing Xenocrisis, a really cool indie title that dropped into uh, Game Pass this past week. The idea that I can sit on my couch and do that downstairs with a Razer Kishi and my phone feels like a Switch, but it has a, a better screen, better quality, and it charges it as well, that's super cool. That's super cool. I'm telling you, this Project xCloud has the potential to, to land in a big way. I also totally dig that in their press release over on the Xbox Wire, uh, they mentioned that the PlayStation DualShock 4 it will be supported. That comes on the back end of the back and forth with, with Sony saying that not all their games for PlayStation 5 will work with a, a DualShock 4 or whatever. It's DualSense versus DualShock. It's, it's silly marketing speak, and it's, it's just you know tit-tat back and forth between major players. But it was interesting to see the shade that Microsoft threw there. Now... A lot of you wrote in with questions, and I snagged two of them, but a lot of you had thoughts on this. Let's go to Famous Seamus first. He said, With Apple's decision not to support xCloud, I saw a lot of people saying that they'll just switch to Android so they can play Xbox games. Do you think this will have a negative impact for Apple in the long term? Yes. Yes, I do. I have also heard this, Famous Seamus. Do I think that Apple's going under because of this? Not in the slightest. Not even a little. But I have heard many a person suggest that on their next upgrade, 
they might switch over to Android. The Samsung Galaxy event occurred this past week as well, and Phil Spencer appeared on that stage digitally to showcase xCloud over on those devices. They're working very closely with Samsung to have bundles where if you get a new Samsung phone, you get three months of, X- of Xbox Game Pass as well, or you can buy a gamer bundle with a special controller, etc., etc. I do think this will impact Apple on some level, and I think it will be noticeable enough that Apple re- reconsiders their standpoint on this at some point in the next two to three years. Cloud gaming is the future. You will, you guys will not need a box in 10 years. You'll be able to play via the cloud. And I think that the idea here is to show how well this product works on Android, to show how well it enters people into the gaming verse, to spend money and build revenue for Microsoft and those Game Pass uh, participators. Participators is not the right word, but you get what I'm saying. And I think Apple will notice it. Yes, I do. Full stop, that is going to happen. Consider if you need to upgrade your tablet and you have an iPad, maybe you want to snag an Android tablet instead, but you don't want to give up your iPhone because your Apple Watch. Cool, that could still work as well. There's a lot of ways to break this down. I do think Apple will notice this. Now, Element Appeal also wrote in, and he said, xCloud is obviously one of Xbox's main strengths coming into next-gen. With recent news of Apple holding back xCloud service on their devices, would it be a huge mistake for Microsoft if they didn't get it to work uh, over on iPhones and iPads? Element Appeal, it is a bad thing that it's not available on Apple devices. However, Microsoft and Apple have both been very clear that the reason this isn't happening that xCloud isn't occurring on iOS devices is Apple. It is not Microsoft. Apple and Microsoft need to cut some sort of compromising deal where everyone's making money, and then it will happen. And again, to my comment with Famous Seamus, I think you'll see that happen in two years' time or less. I do not think it will last much longer than that. But if I'm an iOS user and a gamer, I'm upset by this news. If I'm an iOS user and I have an affinity for games and maybe I'm not willing to buy an Xbox Series X, but I do want to play Forza or Halo or the incredible number of indies that are available in Game Pass, maybe this is frustrating to me. I certainly think it, it should be. The idea that you could play Witcher 3 anywhere whenever you want, check out the Arkham games anywhere whenever you want, that's a really, really enticing offer. And to do it with any of the many controllers you own in your house already is uh, a real big net win for budget gamers. And if I'm an Apple user, I'm frustrated with Apple right now. I'd call them out. I know there are online petitions going around and people tweeting and showing angst on that. Again, I say you vote with your wallet. Anytime you see a business deal about exclusivity or or, uh, content being sent to a certain place or not being sent to a certain place, your wallet is the best weapon and tool you have for communication as a consumer. So, Make the switch if you need to. If it's not that important to you, stick with what you got and recognize that you're choosing that as well uh, or, or making the best of the choices available to you. This brings me to my final thesis point of this episode before we get to reader mail and before we get to our incredible interview with Adam Brannicky. And that is this. At this point in time, a lot of reflection has occurred from gamers around the gaming verse and in the XEP community. And I myself have reflected a lot on what PlayStation 5 and Xbox have showcased us in games and in systems and hardware going forward. And I think the majority of gamers, and I say majority recognizing that most people that listen to podcasts are are niche gamers. We are not representative of the overall majority of dollar spenders in the gaming verse. 
typically you're gonna you you've got something set in your mind and you know what you're gonna spend it on and and that's it. Casual gamers might be a bit more flexible or a bit more open to change. But my thesis is this: at present, you do not need to buy an Xbox Series X at launch. You do need a Game Pass playable device. You need a PlayStation 5 to play the the bevy of exclusives that Sony is creating and you need a Game Pass device. That is what you need going into next gen based on what we know right now. Simply put, the launch lineups are not good enough from either content creator, first party, Sony or Microsoft, to justify 100%, oh, I need this device right now. The PlayStation 5 is currently overclocked. It doesn't have a whole lot of launch games right now that are from their first party, and it looks to be significantly weaker than Xbox Series X. That said, Xbox Game Studios have not showcased us games that put that Xbox Series X to use right now. So, if I'm if I'm looking at next gen, I'm saying I need an Xbox Game Pass device, be it my Xbox One, be it a Lockhart, be it a tablet, be it a phone, be it a Series X. Something where I can access the incredible value that Game Pass has to offer is important to me as a gamer. I need that. Now, Luke Lore specifically, I'm getting a Series X myself because I want the best and the brightest and... I host the Xbox Expansion Pass. That's my beat. That's what I cover, and I want to be informed on that decision. If I, if that were not the case, I would be questioning right now whether or not I needed a new Xbox at this point in time, or if I'm able and comfortable to sit on what I've got at the moment and maybe wait six months, maybe wait a year. Do I need to play Halo Infinite in 120 frames per second in 4K over on a Series X, or am I cool with playing it on my Xbox One X, or my Xbox One S, or my tablet, or my phone, or my PC? And that's the question that a lot of gamers need to ask themselves. For my money right now, if I'm a casual gamer, I'm buying a PlayStation 5 for Miles Morales and and the the bevy of exclusives they've got going, and I'm accessing Xbox xCloud and Xbox Game Pass from any one of my available devices. That's the budget way to go. That's the smart way to go. And I think that's Microsoft's strategy going forward. Let me know what you think of this. I have a lot of a lot of variables in this. First, Lockhart may change this full stop. Lockhart is the key player here. There are a, a number of price points that Microsoft could try to hit with the Series X and Lockhart, trying to get people entered into their ecosystem. And we know from multiple quotes throughout the gaming industry that Microsoft cares about engagement and ecosystem and less about hardware. Okay, so that's a wonderful variable to have. We also haven't seen any games that demand next-gen hardware that you're locked out of right now from Xbox. That's coming in time. You don't need the Xbox Series X at launch. Whereas if you want to play Godfall or Miles Morales, you must have a PlayStation 5. And I'm curious about uh, about this. The other aspect of this is that when we saw Godfall showcased at a recent State of Play event, one thing they did a very good job of in that game preview, something that Microsoft missed the beat on and that Avengers War Table did a good job of, was saying, hey, here's a spotlight on our game spoken to you, the gamer, from the developer directly, no PR speak, and the game is in progress. We're working on it. This is still something that needs to be fixed and accessed and worked on. Godfall did a very good job of that, something that Halo Infinite should have done. That, that clarity of messaging, Avengers War Table did this very well as well. I like that idea. And Imran Khan of Kind of Funny recently suggested with his insider knowledge and doubled down on it, in fact. It wasn't all offhand comment. He even entered message boards on this one saying that currently Sony is spending a lot of money 
on third-party deals so that they can use the words PlayStation Advantage in their marketing because they've got such a difference in power between the PlayStation 5 and Series X. That's something to note as well. As a gamer, it suggests right now, based on what we know, that PlayStation is willing to spend money to bring you exclusive content, money that Microsoft is either unwilling or unable to spend at this moment. That is interesting because it runs counter to our knowledge of Xbox being uh, so profitable right now with Game Pass. Maybe not in unit sales, but in Game Pass numbers, it's, it's very clear they're making money. And they've got a bigger market share from their parent company of Microsoft. That's a fascinating take that PlayStation is doubling down to make up for the power difference in their systems and the fact that they don't have a lot of launch stuff so that they can use the words PlayStation Advantage. How do you feel as a gamer right now? If you're an Xbox gamer, are you still comfortable with Microsoft's position of you don't need the hardware, of smart delivery, of you can just access it via these very family devices? Is that good for you? Are you standing clear on that? If you're a PlayStation gamer, are you are you troubled by any of the recent events? Do you like this news? Are you frustrated by PlayStation's spending money on third-party deals when they could be investing in first parties or indies, which we are very well informed of late that indies do not sell on PlayStation, where they do very well on Switch and reasonably well over on Xbox. They do terribly on PlayStation. Is there a frustration point for you as a gamer from, from any perspective in this news? Very curious about this. Write me in, at insipidghost on Twitter, insipidghost at gmail.com. Let me know if I'm off the mark, if I'm making any sense, or, or if you stand in a different position here. As I said, many of you did write in this past week with a number of questions coming through. This next one comes from Suddy, James Suddy, who's joined me and my friends playing Rogue Company quite a bit of late. He says, with xCloud coming to Game Pass, do we think we'll see third-party games not on Game Pass, purchasable and able to stream on devices, sort of like the way Stadia tried to do, Game Pass only or bust? Suddy, great question. No, I don't think you'll see a game that's only accessible via Game Pass and not purchasable that seems to run counter to what Microsoft is doing. I would cite Steam sales as evidence of this. Right now, Grounded, uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator, Master Chief Collection, and Sea of Thieves are all available on Steam and selling where they're also available on PC via Game Pass for free if you just want to use your subscription, people are still buying them over on Steam. I don't know that Microsoft would give up a profit point uh, in that particular respect when, when you can buy it if you want to, spend more money, or you can have Game Pass, either or is fine. That seems to be their mantra, their position going forward, play the way you want to play and how you want to play. I think that seems to, to be the case. So I don't think you'll see any that are Game Pass only and not purchasable uh, on the platform that in which they are playable. Famous Seamus writes in and he says, What video games have made you cry? Some games that made me cry include Professor Layton and the Unwound Future, Telltale's Walking Dead Season 1, and of course, both Ori games. That is a great question, Famous Seamus. I've certainly got emotional in a number of games. Uh, Ori is, is one of them. Absolutely, both Ori games I've gotten very emotional in. I shed a tear in Firewatch and in... The Walking Dead Season 1. Both of those got me very uh, in the heartstrings. Particularly, I was on painkillers when I took them after I had my shoulder repaired. And I could only play with one hand, so adventure games were a comfortable fit there. Uh, I also think back to a couple moments. In Metal Gear Solid 4, at the very end, and this is a spoiler for Metal Gear Solid 4, uh, you are playing as Snake and you are crawling through a microwave oven. It's as odd as it sounds. What are you going to do, Kojima? But you're crawling through a microwave oven, and you are 
reminiscing and thinking about all the various journeys you've had in Metal Gear Solid's 1, 2, and 3, and the game has done a number of things to remind you of that throughout its gameplay. And I got very emotional because, of course, we think about what we were doing in our lifetime when we experienced this game or that game. And I was identifying and thinking back, where was I when I played Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, and 3, and and how did I feel about those moments? And so uh, that certainly made me connect there. And I'm trying to think of, of something else Another game, I certainly the Bloody Baron tale in The Witcher 3, I got rather emotional with. Uh, I think I got very emotional, not in a sad way, but in playing Gears 5 and seeing Halo Infinite and uh, recognizing what those franchises mean to me and then how much I enjoy them and see them continuing on is a a wonderful feeling. Uh, Games make me emotional a lot of times, but it's not always crying per se. Great question, Famous Seamus. Hypecaster writes in, he says, oh, and this is particularly relevant to our xCloud conversation, how large a screen do you need for a great gaming experience? Phone? Large phone? Tablet? Of course it's a preference, but what is your preference? I hear many people saying that that AAA console games like Halo 5 on mobile are unplayable due to screen size constraints. That is a wonderful question, Hypecaster, particularly given how xCloud is set to essentially light the industry on fire with potential for how people play games. I look at a couple things on this. If I'm playing a game, like I mentioned earlier in the show, Xenocrisis, where it's a twin-stick shooter, I don't really care about the size so much as long as I can comfortably see my character and the enemies on screen. Twin-stick shooter's super easy there. Playing something like Ori might be a little more complex, but still approachable due to the design choices of that kind of platformer. If I'm playing Halo Infinite multiplayer, I'm probably okay with a phone uh, or whatnot. But if I'm trying to read the dialogue and experience a story-heavy game, then I would think a large, a tablet or larger is important to have. Having the ty- the type of gameplay a factor here is is going to be a big deal. I can vividly remember many an experience on my Game Boy that were not hampered by the size of the screen. I was able to still experience a wonderful story. Link's Awakening is a good example of that. I also did this a lot on my Sega Nomad. Of course, I was sitting next to the wall with it plugged up as a child because I didn't have a TV and uh, that thing died two minutes into having a battery. But it certainly is telling that you can tell great stories on a small screen, but it's a matter of interpretation. If I'm trying to be super competitive, of course I want to be on my TV. I'm not going to play a hyper-competitive game for anything more than casual fun on my phone. Unless it's my only option. We've seen Fortnite be very successful mobile. We've seen PUBG do the same there. And children are quite comfortable with those screen sizes. So I think there's a, a lot of factors here. It just depends on the type of game you want to play. And that's, that's all it really is there. Our last question comes from Nicholas Downey, member of the Iron Lords. Love that. He says, out of Xbox's upcoming announced games, which are you most excited for? Oh, Nick, this is this is tough for me because there's a I, I have a list of probably 20 to 25 games that I have handwritten over on my desk right now that I'm excited for from, from this point on through the rest of the year. Uh, of course, Halo Infinite is top of that list, but I've talked a lot about that on this show. I want to point eyes to a game called Second Extinction, which is a Left 4 Dead style game where you're fighting out dinosaurs. We saw it at the May Xbox event. I'm really excited to play that one. I'm, I'm greatly looking forward to that. Of course, Battletoads is on my list out of sheer curiosity. I loved playing it at E3, and I'm looking forward to playing it 
uh, in the upcoming weeks. Also, if you are interested in Battletoads, you should keep an eye on the interviews over the next few months. We'll see what happens. Uh, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, or Re-Reckoning, I'm so in on that one. I am morbidly interested in Avengers. I'm going to buy that game. I know it. It's a matter of where right now. But I do want to play as a superhero for sure. The This one, this one is... is not controversial, however, I do see a lot of mixed opinions on it. I'm very interested in Crossfire X, particularly its campaign. The Crossfire X beta had a lot of problems, but I really did enjoy the gunplay, and the campaign is being made by Remedy Entertainment. So I'm very curious to see what they do with it. Uh, beyond that, also some bias here, because he was on the show, but Paul Bettner's new Super Lucky's Tale is coming to the platform in about two weeks now. I really dig happy mascot characters they're a wonderful complement to some of the more serious games i play and so jumping into super lucky's tale or see if these some of the bright and happy games can really offset the world right now so i'm looking forward to that one as well uh the the, the list is 20 games long man and that's the the coolest part about it and a lot of them i don't have to pay for because of game pass uh, and I, I dig that for sure nonetheless that will conclude my my list of upcomings that i'm looking forward to at the moment now Ladies and gents, fantastic week of, of serious and interesting topics to debate upon. I would imagine I threw a lot of curveballs at you in terms of gaming logic. I want to know what you think about those, and you can always write me in, Twitter, uh, at InsipidGhost, or email me, insipidghost at gmail.com. I'm going to send you now over to my interview with Adam Brennicky. He's the game director for Grounded. I remind you that Grounded hit over a million players in its first week of early access. It was doing gangbuster numbers over on Steam. It's available in Game Pass right now with early access. You can try out the, the unfinished game at this point. Adam talks a lot about the long-term vision of where he wants Grounded to be. Of course, they're Obsidian's uh, Team 3 right now in terms of size. They've got the big team working on Avowed, the middle team working on Outer Worlds, the small team, of course, working on Grounded, which is a pun that's accidental and yet occurs quite often. Uh, I really think you'll dig what Adam had to say. Obsidian is, is firing on all cylinders. They seem to be the best pickup for Xbox Game Studios, and Adam sheds a lot of light on this. Check this interview out. If you've not played Grounded and you're interested, go give it a shot over on Game Pass. I really liked what I saw from Grounded. I really dig the potential that this game has to offer. At first, I was like, mm, honey, the trunk, the kids, that's just not my jam. I gave it a shot. Of course, I'm having the game director on. I need to play it and be informed about what I'm talking about. Man, I was in, guys. I'm telling you right now. It, it was way more fun than it, than it should have been, and I love it. I love what I'm seeing there, and I so look forward to the game's full release. Give this one a go. If you like the interview, means the absolute world, guys, amidst all the reviews and the retweets, which really help the show, and I thank you so much. We're, we're climbing those charts in, in a way that warms my heart, and I appreciate you all being a part of this journey with me. But let Adam know over on Twitter. He'll give you his Twitter handle at the end. Tweet him, tweet Grounded, tweet Private Division, tweet Xbox Game Studios. Let him know you heard the interview and, and what it meant to you. If it, if it was something that turned you on to Grounded or whatnot, that means uh, even more than anything else, guys, and I appreciate it. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and take care. All right, we are very fortunate now to welcome Adam Brennicky, Game Director for Grounded, which recently landed its way into Steam Early Access and Xbox Game Preview with over 1 million players in that first week. Adam, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. 
Well, I, I think it's a, there's a lot of places to start, but I think the most interesting one would be, how are you feeling to hit early <laughs> access the way you guys did following a beta? Uh, how are you? Is it a bit overwhelming? Tell me how your, your mindset yeah, it's, is. It's, it's pretty awesome. Um, I'm, I'm super, super stoked to see the reception of Grounded so far and having so many people join us in the backyard. Um, first, like, you know, it's, it's always kind of nerve-wracking and stressful whenever you launch a game um, just because you, you have no idea how it's going to be received and we're just the team is is super happy with uh you know how how many people are enjoying the game and getting into the yard and we we love watching uh people play and seeing like how they encounter things for the very first time so i'm, I'm you know i personally am I'm super super happy with uh how how the game's been received so far and i just want to say like this is just a start so you know, we want to continue to develop the game and, and we're, we're definitely listening to everyone's feedback on what they're enjoying and what they're not enjoying. And we're uh, discussing it as a team every day. And we just want to make the game better from here. Well, Grounded, of course, a survival adventure game where you or three other players, you've been shrunk down into smaller sizes and you have to survive that backyard. Adam, that is a very weird and very brilliant idea. <laughs> what brought that up? Like, what, what what made you even tell me about the pitch? Yeah, um, so it is definitely a very unusual game for us at Obsidian. We're known for our very like big, deep RPGs, and you know, like going from Alpha Protocol, Fallout, New Vegas. We we've worked on some fun ones over the you know over the years like South Park the Stick of Truth but even more recently with uh, Pillars of Eternity and the Outer Worlds very like big deep RPG experiences and I was a part of the Pillars of Eternity team I, I was working on that game for roughly six years and during that time as you know going all the way back to I think 2012 um, while we we're working on Pillars of Eternity. The survival game kind of came out of nowhere and it was super fun like we had a blast playing a lot of the survival games at work um the forest subnautica arc uh rust like all those games super duper fun and we're having such a fun time and as game developer as a game developer and, and as a team we were looking at that genre and saying like hey like what if we did our own spin on this like I think there's a lot of opportunity here to kind of create our own thing and, and add and, and inject our own obsidian flair into the survival game. And uh, we were wrapping up uh, Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire and uh, we just kind of had a, a team um, ready to go. And Fergus, the studio head at Obsidian was like, hey Adam, put together a team, put together a pitch and see what happens. And um, to kind of take a, a step back, we were, um, brainstorming like what would make an awesome survival game and uh we were kind of we locked ourselves in an office and we just started listing all the survival games um kind of the the idea and the fantasies of survival games so like you know like stuck on an island um you know scary you know scary ideas not so scary ideas and we're just like spitballing and throwing stuff on on the whiteboard and when we kind of said like hey like what if you were uh, like shrunk down and, and stuck in a backyard and had to survive, you know, and encounter giant insects? And we're just like immediately as, as game developers, we just started like coming up with so many cool ideas um, based off of that idea. And uh, we're just like, hey, we have something here like this is a really cool idea and a setting 
mixed with survival game, like I think that would work really well. So Fergus was like, hey, that's 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 a cool idea, and it's 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 crazy for the studio to do this. And it was like, hey, like put together a little prototype of it. So we went to work. We got some artists, uh, really talented guys, and we put together a little prototype. And once we saw that prototype, we're just like, yes, like this, there's something here. Like once we saw like how the grass looked and the scale and spiders running around, we're like, yeah, there's there's some magic here. So Fergus is like, just keep working on it, keep working on it, and turn into grounded. Okay, so that raises a lot of questions, and, and I do <laughs> want to get to them here. The the idea you did work on that Pillars of Eternity team. Fallout New Vegas is in Obsidian's pedigree. Those could not be more different per se, but you're, you've got this new idea with Grounded. Did that invigorate you and that small team to be doing something that's that's fundamentally different and yet with that Obsidian style? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think the art style, um, you know, artists, they, uh, they, they love working in this world, like making, you know, somewhat stylized art, but like working on stuff that, one we're all familiar with and i think that's kind of a, a cool thing about grounded is like all those man-made objects all those insects like we all you know universally are all really familiar with this stuff so like adding our own unique you know touch on that was really cool um to kind of like work in a different type of environment that we've never been able to, to kind of work with before um and i think also it's just kind of you know taking a break um you know, if you will, from, you know, those hardcore fantasy science fiction stuff, you know, being able to kind of do something very creative and just have fun with it. I think that was also part of our passion of like working on Grounded um, is just like, hey, let's just try something new and have fun with it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Now, because it was such a departure, were you surprised at all at like fan feedback, seeing that initial art style, which that art style, I think, betrays the complexity of the game and playing the beta. That, that's a very complex beta that it's simple and easy to go through i think but it's it's not what i would have expected when i first saw it was it did you have to navigate messaging on that in any unique way um i, I think it just lends itself like i think the art style is very accessible and it's it's on the surface it's very friendly and i think that's a cool thing about grounded is that the game is built out of what i call layers and there's a lot of layers to uncover with grounded so the setting as I said, it's very universal. It's very accessible um, for a wide audience. And I think we chose that art style. One, it, it, it lends itself to make things actually pretty quickly. So we spent a lot of time developing the art style. Um, because we have a small team, there's only one character artist, one environment artist on the team. We had to figure out a way to build a lot of art very quickly. Um, and so that's one reason why we chose the art style. It's also something that the artist they pushed that like they wanted to work in this style um, and as a director I was like you know that we have so much talent on the team and I trust my artists uh, they're an amazing bunch of, of, of game developers and they were just like this is going to make the game look super cool the lighting's going to look amazing and they pulled it you know they, they pulled it off I think the game looks incredible it runs really well um, and we're doing a lot of tech stuff behind the scenes to make everything kind of run and function um, and so I think the programmers did a, a great job as well. I noticed that in in starting off in the early access preview was you have created a huge world by way of going small. And that's, I think, a particular feat in and of itself. And you mentioned this this small team that you've got. How many people are, are actually on that team? So we have uh, roughly 13 core developers. 
Um, it kind of varies. Sometimes we like we have a composer, Justin Bell. Um, so like he's working on the project, but he's not a full time like team member. Um, so we have a couple people that have helped helped out. So it's not just like 13 people, mm-hmm. um, but we have uh, about 13 developers on the project. Um, and the the other thing that yes, we have 13. Uh, developers, but we're all like really experienced game developers. Mm-hmm. So I've been at Obsidian for 17 years. Uh, most of the team members have worked with each other for probably more than, you know, almost a decade now because um, we were working on Pillars of Eternity together. So like we're very, very experienced game developers. We've worked with each other on many games in the past. And so we just work really well. We're able to like, you know, just jam on stuff and get things done really quickly. So I think that's a, another awesome thing about our team. That's a, it's a, certainly an awesome thing. And I would imagine it works doubly, it was doubly helpful rather, once we began shelter in place and working from home, did that change the dynamic of the way the team interacted together? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely changed things. Cause like one thing that we love to do as a team is just kind of like sit around and, and chat. And that's a little bit more difficult. Uh, we've tried to use teams to kind of just bring people together. Um, but yeah, it definitely proposed like some challenges that we had to deal with. Um, but I think we're, you know, we have an awesome IT department. They got us up and running really quickly. And we were able to, you know, continue working on the game um, for to, to get it ready for launch. So yeah, there were some, there were some uh, kind of things that we had to learn. Um, and one of those things is just like, being in the office together and being able to like spitball ideas like uh, at the office when I'm actually at the office, I share uh, an office with one of our creative guys, uh, Mitch and Mitch is just incredible. Like and him and I just bounce ideas. So a lot of like a lot of the goof in the game comes from Mitch and I just like riffing off of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a and, and it does kind of like we lose a little bit of that, but I make sure to call him like every day and just kind of talk talk and see what we can come up with but yeah it's 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 definitely different um but uh we're we're getting used to it let's say it's it's been our 2020 has been 20 years long but uh certainly i would imagine by now there is a comfortable groove and, and an expected set of pacing within the studio and that's to my very amateur look and the outside looking in is that something you would you would echo or am i off base yeah i think we're like um, you know, we're, we're losing some stuff, but I think we do gain a lot of things. Uh, you know, it's going to meetings is really easy because I just have to click a button. I don't have to walk across the, the, the office. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, benefits from working, working at home. Um, so there, there's some people that are more productive and when you just need to put your blinders on and just get stuff done, like being at home for a lot of people like that works really well. Sure. Sure. Now, to the outside looking in, I think a lot of gamers, particularly with the recent Xbox Game Showcase, they're seeing Obsidian. And uh, to their mind, and to mine, as, I suppose, as well, we're seeing three teams existing on on three levels. You have the, the very large avowed team, the middle team. When I say middle team, I'm talking about like amount of people working on it with the Outer Worlds, and then the amount of people working on Grounded, uh, almost a, a tier system. Is Is that an accurate thought process and then how much interaction do you all have between those teams to help you know refine each of those games as you go about yeah um that's a great question so 
we've always had multiple teams at Obsidian, and that's one of the things that I think our founders uh, have always tried to do is have multiple projects. Um, I think that keeps things fresh for the developers. Um, one where we can kind of look at strengths and weaknesses of the team. And like, since we have multiple projects running, we can kind of balance that between the projects. Um, and I think that's one of the strengths of our studio is being able to do that. Um, and the other awesome thing is like right now, all those projects are running, um, you know, we're, we're uh, grounded in, and the outer worlds are both running on Unreal. Um, and that's that's really cool because we can share a lot of tech between those projects um, and ideas. Um, so we do have like a core tech team. Um, the tools guys, they they definitely uh, develop like our RPG tech that can be shared across multiple projects. And we've been developing that for uh, now like a, more than a decade. Um, so those tools are really refined. That's how we do conversations. That's how we do quests. Um, and those those tools can be like plugged into the different um, engines. So we used all that on Pillars of Eternity. We used it on the Outer Worlds. We used it on Grounded um, and we're using it on Avowed, for example. Um, so like it's pretty cool to be able to share that stuff and it just makes our games kind of more refined. It gives us starting points. The other awesome thing is like the entire company shares a chat channel. So if any of us run into problems, we can, you know, uh, you know, bring them up in our, in our chats. And then the other great thing about you know, now that we're uh, uh, a Microsoft Xbox studio, um, since now we're a, a part of a bigger family too. So not only does that exist amongst the Obsidian developers, but we can reach out to other teams, the coalition, you know, Undead Labs. I was given the opportunity to go out to the UK and I visited the uh, playground and Rare and just really cool to be able to discuss making games with other developers. And it just makes all of our games that much better. Was that was that trip like encouraged when you guys became part of Xbox Game Studios? Was that an encouraged thing? Was it just a a, a one off? How did that come about? I think uh, I'm not actually sure how that came about. I think it was like, hey, like you know, um, since you guys are are new to the family, um, you know, go out and see what Rare's working on, um, see what Playground's working on. Um, mm -hmm. Now that we all know what they're working on, but I was able to, you know see that stuff uh, a little bit before everyone else um, mm -hmm. and be able to discuss like, hey, you know, um, just collaboration, you know, just uh, encouraging that and getting to like some FaceTime. So like when we are chatting over the internet and email, like I think that gives a personal touch when we can actually reach out and say like, hey, like, um, you know, what are you guys up to? Like, hey, have you run into this problem? And I think that just, you know, speeds up development and makes us more productive. Mm -hmm. I That's super cool. And it's nice to hear. I think sometimes from, from again, I speak from the outside looking in as a gamer verse and people that, that content create, and we look at these development systems and we wonder, you know, how friendly is it? What's going on? Big mega corporations, small studios. It's nice to hear that nothing got lost in the shuffle and you got to have those positive experiences. Uh, now, let's get to Grounded specifically. Uh, <laughs> launching into game preview into early access obviously means the game is incomplete on some level. So talk to me about the vision that you have for Grounded uh, long-term, how flexible is it, uh, and how do you absorb community feedback to adjust that game while maintaining that vision? Yeah, so I think one, 
we always wanted to develop Grounded as a game preview and early access title. So that was something that was really important to us when we started working on it. And um, it was one of those things that after we got acquired by Microsoft, like we said, like, hey, we're making Grounded. Um, this is really important to us that the title remains like an early access title. And they were like, everyone was super supportive. And it was really cool because it's like, they said, like, keep making it. <laughs> like, don't. Like, really? Yeah, just do what do what you guys want to do. Um, and that's what we did. Like, uh, and we just, you know, continued to develop the game as a, a uh, early access and game preview title. And the, the, the thing that is really cool about the game is that I think anyone immediately can kind of visualize like where this game could go. It's an awesome, you know, we built an awesome groundwork for a really, really cool world to play in. And there's so much stuff that I would like to do personally, but you know, I want to hear from you know people playing the game if they have like insects that they want to see, if there's cool things that you know gameplay systems. And we're also looking at how people build bases and thinking about like, hey, how can we solve some of these issues that are coming up? What other experiences can we add to the the game while we're watching you know people play and hearing people's feedback? And we're definitely the team is very you know in tune with. Uh, you know, reading stuff and looking at uh, how people are playing and we want to make those adjustments and we're discussing like, you know, almost constantly, um, you know, what we can do to, to improve the experience. And then we also have plans, um, you know, for future development, um, you know, there's there's things that we would like to do as a team and and insects and new biomes to the yard that we want to add. So new environments to explore and with a new environment that comes new insects and with new insects and new en environment that means that there's more things to craft more things to harvest different you know things that you can do um, and more systems so uh, it's kind of a, a multi-pronged approach and uh, we do have plans you know we're working on new stuff already and um, our first update is going to be coming out at the end of august and we want to do monthly updates um, with with more stuff mm -hmm. At the top of the interview, you mentioned the forest, Subnautica, Ark. Uh, the way that you're describing that content drop of wanting to do stuff each month, that almost makes me think Sea of Thieves. Is that an apt comparison, or is that just coincidental that they're an Xbox Game Studio? Um, a little bit of A and B. So um, sure. that was our plan. Um, you know, I think it one, it fits really well in the Game Pass of having mm -hmm. new content. So, you know, if you're... Um, a subscriber to Game Pass to be able to like, you know, every month if you know that there's new stuff to check out in Grounded, since like, hey, you're subscribed, like go ahead and, you know, boot up the game and, and check it out. I think that's pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is uh, we did actually discuss this with Rare when I went over there and, uh, you know, I met with the Sea of Thieves team and they they strongly recommended like, hey, if you have, you know, a lot of content and new content drops, like I think uh, you'll see a lot of success doing that. So yeah, we definitely took that advice in, in how we plan things, but it also lined up with, you know, what we kind of had in our heads on, on how to kind of work on this game. Um, sure. So I think that it, it worked out really well. Um, and I think uh, we have a lot of cool stuff planned out and I, I'm pretty excited for our first update. Answer this if you're able, and if you're not, I, I respectfully decline <laughs> the question. You mentioned new biomes, and any number of things pop in my mind for that. We're talking, I mean, seasonal shifts or uh, animals dropping things into the yard. How are you going about modifying 
a backyard, which does exist in a finite type of space. How do you change that? Yeah, um, even if you play the game, like you can see that we put up under construction tape in a lot of areas. So there's, you know, there's there's a lot of different areas in the yard. Um, some of them is kind of in a block out state and some of it you can totally tell it's unfinished. And we want to really flesh out those with cool and unique experiences. Um, so I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways of growing just the yard. Um, you know, I don't want to really show our hand on what we have planned, but uh, there's, you know, you can kind of see and think about like your own backyard or, you know, you know, backyards and seeing kind of like, hey, what else could I find here? Um, what types of insects could I encounter? Um, and I think uh, a lot of those ideas are on the table right now of things that we want to explore. Mm -hmm. Narratively, there is an enemy. I saw that in previews and I saw some stuff in my own exploration of the art narrative. There is uh, an arc that that provides an antagonist on some level, uh, I think is the right way to put it, and not those stupid yard mites that keep going after that wire. Oh, um, and so I get very frustrated. Oh, man. Um, so when you're creating the characters, we have four, I would argue, very approachable characters, each with their own quirks and, and strengths and weaknesses that allow you different play styles. What brought you to those characters? Were there what were the inspirations from? What took you there? Yeah, so we wanted to create a, a fun cast of characters that you you know you would want to uh, explore the yard with these these teams. Um, and it's one of those things that like I felt as a developer and coming into the survival game is like it hasn't really been explored a whole lot of adding character into the survival game. So that's one thing that we really wanted to do with Grounded is injecting you know we're as a studio we're really good at developing cool characters and we wanted to do that with grounded and um you know each each one of the four teens has their own personalities and we want to continue to develop their their storylines of you know why they're in the yard who put you here who owns this house um who's burgle like you know all these questions i think we're laying the breadcrumbs of the larger story and we want to continue to add those breadcrumbs and those mysteries uh, for the players to kind of piece together what's going on. Interesting. What amount of feedback has surprised you most, Adam? I mean, you've gotten certainly with a million jumping in, that had to be surprising on some level. <laughs> um, but separate from that, what feedback has been consistent and what has surprised you? Um. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I'm not I'm not surprised at any feedback. I think it, all the feedback is very valid. Um, I'm really like I think it's amazing. Like looking at what people have built so far with the base building, um, it's one of those things that I think uh, we really want to expand on. Um, so seeing what people you know how they're building their bases and looking at like hey if you guys added like these pieces, like there's so many more things that you can build out of, you know, out of your base and different, different types of bases could be possible. So that's one thing that we've definitely seen. And there's some intuitive things that people are not intuitive, uh, uh, ingenious things that people have done with some of our like other pieces that were, you know, they like the half height walls and stuff out of like the, the dummy, the armor dummies and stuff like that, which I think is pretty cool. But like we're we're looking at that stuff and saying like, hey, like if we added these pieces, I think base building could be, you know, a lot more expanded. Um, 
and then surprise I, I don't know i'm just super surprised at how many people are playing um i'm just like it, it's very overwhelming but i think you know we're so so happy that people are enjoying the game um and i think uh i love you know i think the team loves just watching you know people experience the yard for the very first time and seeing people's reactions to different things i'm also very surprised like how you know we've hidden a lot of stuff in the yard and seeing people's reactions to like like some of the crazier things like the um the ant uh head totem room um i don't know if you've seen that one but the people when they when they stumble upon that they're like hmm there's something else to this game <laughs> Those are the, those are the fun moments. If they if they leave you questioning and wanting more, it's it's easy to want to go back in there for sure. <laughs> with with being an early access, that is a unique position that can miss the mark for a lot of game developers and game directors. Uh, and when it lands, I would imagine it, it brings a whole bevy of emotions. Does being an early access ease the pressure to provide a full release date or a, a when it's done whilst you having or whilst having an active community right now? Um, one, like I feel like this is the best way to make a game. Like I prefer this way of making games just because, you know, as a as the director and as a developer, I don't know everything. Like I can't imagine that any director knows everything and like getting a lot of iteration on gameplay systems and features is the way to make the best game possible. Mm -hmm. So like getting, you know, it's amazing that so many people are playing. So like we can really get tons of feedback on how to make the game better. And I think just, you know, being able to build on that and, and continue to work, I think is going to just make an amazing experience an amazing game at the end of the day. And I, I prefer this way of making games because, uh, you know, dropping stuff and just like, getting everything ready for one release, like, you know, as developers, there's always more things to do and more things to add and be able to, to have the opportunity to fix things and, and look at how people are playing and adjust things. Like that's how great experiences will be made. Adam, you guys have a huge, huge debut into to early access over a million players there. You've got a merch store up grounded is I think surprising a lot of people. And in my final question for you, uh, before we let you go, wh where do you go from here? Is it just focusing on those that month to month? Are you looking long-term years of content? What's, what's the, how do you keep yourself in check while still being ambitious in this, this last go? Yeah, that's, or that's early going. I should yeah, say. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah. I, th I think like we're definitely focused on just, continue to you know do what we wanted to do um we, we definitely have plans for the first update and we want to you know get that um ready to go for the end of this month um we have some other plans in store so um kind of a, a balance of providing like more uh quality of life features fixing bugs um adding some stuff that we want to add and just continue to develop it and see where it goes um and you know, looking at how players are are playing and, and you know, there's there's definitely not um, any sort of like super long term plan. Um, we just want to continue to build what we're doing and, and just make, you know, Grounded the best experience possible. That's fantastic. So we can see Grounded right now in Xbox Early Access and Steam Preview, I believe. 
or Xbox Game Preview, Steam Early Access. There you go. Uh, you can play it on your Xbox One, play it on your Windows PC, presumably on your Series X via smart delivery at some point. Uh, this has got to be an exciting time for you. Adam, thank you for your time. Let us know where we should be looking for updates, where we can find you and any of your preferred social media spaces. Uh, and, and yeah, that, that's it. Tell me, tell me where to find you. At uh, grounded.obsidian.net is uh, our website and i believe uh grounded the game at grounded the game on twitter is the best place to get info about grounded 